welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 26th of December 2010, entitled Simeon's First Christmas, and the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32. Here's Brother Peter Richards. Well, good morning. How are you all? Cold, I guess. It's a very cold place. Do I need to interpret? Can you <laughs> yes, can you understand me? Uh, is this on? I guess it is. I hear my, myself. Well, uh, this is quite a strange place for me to be in. I've heard of England all my life, and I know that somewhere that's where my roots are, and uh, now we're here. And, uh, you know, it's been pretty harrowing. Uh, they called us the day that we were supposed to come, about an hour and a half before we were to be to the airport, and told me my flight was canceled. Well, it's been downhill ever since. But look what the Lord did. We came anyway, and uh, we were excited when uh, we saw the Lord work in spite of all the troubles, and uh, we even made it to Phil Lord's house. Uh, now, Phil, he got that title in the United States, Lord. He's a Lord there. And uh, we saw him, we met him first there, and, and I feel sorry for you all. I was talking to the man who did the surgery, and he was explaining to me how he got his title Mr. And all this education he has to have, and he gets separated from everyone else, and he's only a Mr. You know, in the United States, just all you have to do to be a Mr. in the United States is, is come to the age of 18. And uh, everywhere in the United States, uh, wherever you go, they'll call you Sir. I'm a real sir from the United States, so, but, uh, so I, I recommend the place. You could come and you'd get a title right out. Uh, as soon as you got there, you'd receive a title. Now, the queen wouldn't give it to you, but you'd have it nonetheless. Well, it's good to see you all. I was trying, uh, trying a little bit of humor. I don't know if it went over so well, but you'll excuse me. Uh, well, we went to the, the, the uh, country of Papua New Guinea. And so we understand culture shock uh, a little bit. We've uh, we kind of got it from the other side. I know your pastor came over here and he married up. And, uh, you know, and it's... Uh, <laughs> and, you know, but I went down the scale a ways and we went to Papua New Guinea. And uh, the Lord blessed. And uh, so we have... Uh, we're there for four and a half years. And we had uh, gone home last year. Uh, to report on our work there, and in the course of that time, it, it, we discovered we needed to raise a little more support. So we'll be home in the United States a little longer. Not sure how long until we raise the, the extra support that we need. Uh, I'd like to introduce my family, and you know, I am so sorry. I, at the last minute, with all the rushing, talking to this wonderful lady on the phone for two and a half hours to get myself back on the flight, I, I miss bringing prayer cards. And it's a shame because I have so many, and I really wanted to give some away because I don't know what to do with them all, um, and I didn't bring any, but I'll send some later. Uh, but if you'll see, you can see this little uh, prayer card that we, uh, I see it printed here. Uh, we send it ahead, and you can see our family. Unfortunately, all of our family didn't come. The insurance company was so kind to send us over to the, the UK to get our surgery done, but they didn't include my family, not all of them. But my wife is here, Rachel, would you stand? Let them see. This is the missus of a sir. 
And uh, my son, you can stand too, and uh, they also call him Mr. Uh, in the United States. Uh, his, he's Michael. Uh, I have three other sons. Benjamin is 19. Michael and Benjamin are in the university now, so they won't be going back with us to Papua New Guinea. And then we have a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old sons, uh, uh, Samuel and David, and they'll be going back with us. Uh, we have a DVD here, and I, I'm trusting that it's going to work in the UK just like it does in the United States. I'm not sure. Uh, if it doesn't, you'll forgive me. Um, but uh, we'll let them play that. It's about 12 minutes, and it will give you an idea of what we've been up to for four and a half years. And uh, after that, <clears throat> typically in the United States, I will take questions. If, if, you know, after the DVD does not inform you of everything you want to know, you can ask me some questions, and I'll be glad to answer any questions so long as I can understand your English and you can understand mine. And, uh, and then if we have any time left over, and we will, don't worry, um, I will preach from God's Word, which is the same in England as it is in the United States. Okay? Papua New Guinea a rugged and untamed land reflecting the magnificence of our Creator. Mountain snake like a boar spine extending from east to west across this beautiful land. God's glorious handiwork is daily on display for all to see. Yet, in this land of beauty, the darkness of animism blinds the eyes of so many to the testimony of the One in whose image they were created. They have exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and in their vain imaginations their foolish hearts are darkened. Many people attend Lutheran, Roman Catholic, and Seventh-day Adventist churches. But sorcery, spells and magic learned from the traditions of their ancestors rule the thinking of many PNGers. The only hope for the darkness of the human soul is the light of the gospel. Greetings from the Richards. Along with our four sons, Michael, Benjamin, Samuel, and David, Rachel and I came to Papua New Guinea in 2005 to begin a work in the highlands in the remote village of Kiari. In June of 2005, excitement mounts as we head back to Kiari. The 60-mile trip turns into a 10-hour stop-and-go adventure. Bridges are in dangerous disrepair, and opportunists ask for money for road work they've supposedly done. Rainy season takes its toll, and the roads look more like dry riverbeds. Our first five months in Kiari were filled with learning a new language, adjusting to a new culture, and gaining new skills. As a trained nurse, I was eager to reach people's hearts by caring for their physical needs through clinic outreach. I came with a desire to minister not only to the physical needs of the people, but also to train pastors in teaching and preaching the Word. A carpenter friend from America, along with the local people, helped us to build our house. The Lord held off the big rains, and in 18 days we had a house to live in. When our house was finished, it looked like an early Christmas present wrapped in aluminum foil. Preaching and teaching opportunities were just beginning to open up, and we were growing to love the people of Kiari Baptist Church. Yet seven months into our ministry, the Lord allowed a dramatic event 
that changed the direction of our ministry. November 30th, 2005, Wednesday morning. This was to be our last trip to town before rainy season would settle in, potentially blocking the roads. Rachel, Samuel, and David joined me for the trip. At the church, we waited while passengers loaded into the back of our Land Cruiser. At the church, the truck failed to start, and Terry, along with some of the believers, worked under the hood. Suddenly, the truck lurched forward, and with little time to react, we tumbled nearly 300 feet down a mountain. The nationals in the back of the truck jumped out, and my dad, who had plunged headfirst into the truck to stop it, was thrown out, as were my mom, Samuel, and David. Samuel and David escaped with only minor injuries, but for my parents, theirs were life-threatening. Terry broke his neck, but never experienced paralysis. Rachel had multiple fractures, requiring immediate surgery and prolonged medical care. Our co-workers immediately contacted a medical mission team in Garoka, who began preparing for an exceptionally challenging helicopter rescue. Our final destination for medical help would be Cairns, Australia. In Cairns, our recovery took four months. This was a time filled with many questions as we sought the Lord for direction and wisdom. The doctor said that for two years, we could not go back to the bush of Papua New Guinea. We are thankful for the prayers of so many believers who prayed for us during this time. Because of his goodness, we returned to Garoka, the capital city of the Eastern Highlands province where God gave us a ministry. Terry began a teaching and preaching ministry in the Garoka area to strengthen local churches. The Lord opened for us two different sites for Bible schools, in Garoka and just outside Garoka at Southgate Baptist Church. Bible school offered biblical training to pastors and laymen. Our family also ministered at Southgate Baptist Church with Pastor Kipsey Hagen. In 2007, Peter and Nancy Noro, with their two children, Asa and Michelle, joined our team. We first met this couple in Kiari, where we developed a friendship. Peter and Nancy's knowledge of the culture and love for the Lord helped us to better understand how to minister in this strange culture. We met with them weekly for Bible studies, teaching them Bible basics and life in the Christian home. The Lord saw fit to bring us together, which opened greater opportunities for ministry. Terry sensed a need to develop a school where we could more intensively teach a fewer number of students. Living next to the students, Peter and Nancy were able to care for their physical needs. We translated Bible courses into Pidgin, providing the students with outlines and notes for future reference and study. For six weeks, these students immersed themselves in God's Word. Our church at Bob Ufa's Roundhouse served as an outreach to the neighboring villages and provided a place for the Bible students to practice their preaching skills. Surrounding Bobby Ufa is a large area of villages influenced by the Seventh-day Adventist churches. Villagers experience rejection and cruelty for attending our church, but some made that choice and heard God's truth. The Lord opened another opportunity for ministry to our neighbors in the village of Napamagona. This village is notorious for its frequent and often brutal fights. 
We met in the market area on Saturdays to preach and spend time talking to the people afterwards. Often it seemed hearts were moved and ready to hear his word. We know that the word has been planted and we pray for a continued work in the hearts of these people. Terry explained how all have sinned and man is in need of a perfect sacrifice to pay for his sins. Now make him this what kind offer on God. Hey, belong sin, and he died. Hey, belong sin. I must capsize him blood. Able, hard and good this for talk. Now, Emmy got like long amamas him God. Emmy got like long behind him God. And so we finish now sin. Belong Papa, Mama, belong Annie, stop long bell, belong and. What a privilege it is to tell these people that the perfect sacrifice has already been made through Jesus, God's Son. The Lord also sent us some special people to minister to. Miyake-san, our neighbor, became our friend in 2006. The Lord has brought several believers into her life, and our prayer is that God will reveal himself to her. In 2007, Misaki-san asked me if I would teach him English. We met daily for several months going through Genesis and John and the book of Daniel, one chapter at a time. Samuel and I helped him with his reading and English skills. We formed a friendship and still get together when he is in town. To Masaki-san, these were just interesting stories and the word of God has not yet changed his heart. Please pray for Masaki-san. Another exciting opportunity came when I was able to preach in Kiari. Now Randy and Elena Smith, along with their five children, minister in Kiari. In January of 2009, Benjamin and I went to Kiari for their church opening. The pastor of Garoka Baptist, Bob Waymo, and I preached for this three-day meeting, and the Lord blessed with souls saved and hearts renewed. Yet another opportunity for ministry involves encouraging the smaller, independent churches in the Garoka area. Tabernacle Baptist Church, pastored by Benjamin, is an example of the smaller churches in the Garoka area in need of encouragement. Pastor Benjamin keeps a full-time job and faithfully ministers to his small congregation. Our burden is to see these churches grow through biblical training. We've also enjoyed working with Pastor Luha and his family of Lower Bena Baptist Church. Should we tell them about life in Papua New Guinea? For PNGers, life revolves around their gardens, and women do the bulk of the work tending these gardens. Growing enough for one's family and selling the rest at market helps the people eke out an existence. For the diligent, the rich soil and temperate climate can provide for a year-round harvest. On our weekly trips to town, we enjoy the fruit of these labors. Let's tell them a little bit about life in the Richard family. Life at the Richard house starts early in the morning. Morning chores taught us responsibility, and we learned how to care for small farm animals such as chickens, goats, pigs, rabbits, birds, cats, and dogs. We also learned how to care for broiler chickens so we could all have meat to eat. Butchering 25 or 30 chickens is an all-day project. 
Though our diet is still quite American, there is room for local customs. Every August, the local people eagerly wait for Muna beetles to emerge from the ground. For the first season at Babiufa, we joined the locals in catching, frying, and eating these beetles. They consider them to be an excellent food, saying it tastes like fried potatoes. Mm-mm, they really do taste like fried potatoes. I don't think I need to eat them again. Once is enough. Visitors were a highlight for our family. We enjoyed the fellowship of friends from America and Australia, and of our fellow missionaries right here in Papua New Guinea. We've completed our first term in PNG, and there is much to tell of God's goodness and faithfulness over the past four and a half years. Our burden to teach the word remains strong, and we look to the Lord for guidance when we return to PNG. We plan to return to a teaching and preaching ministry with a deeper understanding of the people and culture. Lord willing, we will use our medical skills to expand our opportunities. Please pray with us for the Lord's leading as we return to PNG. We are thankful to the Lord for the privilege of bringing the redemption story to the people of Papua New Guinea. All right, hopefully you understand a little bit more of what we were doing for the four and a half years that we were there. I don't know if you have any questions, um, <clears throat> but if you do, I'll be glad to answer them the best I can. One question that uh, many people wonder about is, what language did you speak? And uh, that's a hard one there, because in Papua New Guinea, a... Um, a country no bigger than Great Britain or England, uh, there's 800 languages there. That's over half of the world's languages in that one country. And uh, so, you know, it'd be hard to choose. After about World War II, the people in that country started moving around. Up until that time, they all believed that the sky, that the mountains around them were holding up the sky, and they had no idea there was a, there was a world out there. Uh, the world kind of came to them uh, during World War II. And after that, they began to move around more. And, uh, of course, traders had been coming to the coast of Papua New Guinea for many years and had taught them what they call, uh, what they call this language, Melanesian Pidgin English. Yeah, it has English on the end of it. Melanesian Pidgin English. And that became their national language. About one-fourth of the people there now speak this Melanesian Pidgin English. And they claim the Queen of England as their monarch. And you can't believe what they've done to her English. 
I will quote John 3.16 for you, and you listen carefully. You'll hear some English if you're very astute. Now, now, Papa God, he like him true. All get a man, he stop long this play ground. Now, Emmy Salim, picking any man belong, M, M, one plathas hole. Now, who said he believed true long, M, all in one up loose, no got. All by kiss him life, he stop good all time, all time. Now, that's what they've done to the Queen's English. So if you think the people in the United States have messed it up, boy, you should go over to Papua New Guinea and hear what they've done to it. And that's the language that we have learned. And when I read the Bible over there, the whole Bible is translated into this Melanesian pidgin English. Boy, I'll tell you what, I was incredibly impressed with God's word by that time. Because you can't mess up God's word. And there it was. I read the whole Bible in Melanesian Pidgin English, and it was there. And I was thrilled when I read it. So that's the language. Do you have any other questions? Anything you're wondering about? Yes, sir. Uh, what kind of a culture? A violent. Well, violent comes from the heart. Uh, we just uh, get in trouble if you do it here as much, but there, it's, uh, they have a tribal um, society. And, uh, you know, maybe you've been hearing in the news about Afghanistan. One of the problems with that country is they're so tribal in their thinking. What that means is that in every single village, you've got a separate tribe. And the leader of that village thinks he's the king of the Lilliputians. And, uh, you know, they don't listen to the government. Uh, they have this government there in Papua New Guinea, and it's a parliamentary government. And they've got a prime minister, and they've got all these ministers of parliament. And uh, the people in Papua New Guinea aren't one bit impressed with them. And uh, they don't, uh, they're not ruled by them at all out in the villages. And uh, so, you know, when they get upset about something, usually uh, who's... Um, the land markings is what really gets them upset and who owns what pig and whose wife is whose, uh, they'll go to fighting and they'll kill each other. And um, it's, it's um, you know, I mean, just 60 years ago, they were, they were cannibalizing each other. And uh, they've started to move away from that and we're very grateful. And, uh, but it's still very, very violent. Now, we ourselves, we experienced very little of that. Uh, you know, one of the advantages of being an American there is that they revere us. They think that we're very special. Of course, we know we're not. My wife especially knows I'm not. But it's good, it's handy that they think that we're something special. So they're not going to bother us. Uh, they'll kill each other, but they won't bother us. So, you know, there is a little bit of violence toward us, uh, but they're just trying to steal something. But if they... Um, other than that, they're not going to hurt us. And it took us a while to learn that. Now, we did have a little bit of fear to overcome when we first got there, but, uh, uh, you know, pretty much I feel safer there than I feel in, in uh, the United States, and certainly I feel much safer there than I feel in London. But, uh, uh, but you know, we're okay. All right, any other questions? Yes, ma'am. Uh, well, the church that we ended up uh, starting there in Bobby Ufa was, no, not very far at all from our house. 
uh, the, when we first got out there, that um, church was about uh, uh, two kilometers from our house. But no, generally speaking, it's not too far away. Do a lot of walking there, a lot of sliding, uh, slipping, and, uh, you know, sloshing through the mud. But... Um, uh, not too too much distance. We do travel around sometimes if you want to go to distant villages. So we did a lot of hiking. And uh, someone else had a question. I saw another hand. That's right. There isn't anybody here in this congregation that wouldn't beat the daylights out of your enemy if you could get away with it. And uh, so, you know, we need to remember that. Sin is in my heart. That's where it is, and that's where it needs to be conquered. And... Uh, uh, the people there, you know, once you begin to understand them more, uh, you, don't, you don't view them very differently than you view your next-door neighbor. Um, so it's, um, it's just a matter of getting used to it. A, a, a person's culture is what they're comfortable with. But after you get through all that and you begin to understand why they think the way they do, uh, then you um, begin to see that their problems are pretty much the same as ours. Uh, we need the Lord. We need our sins forgiven. Uh, we need to um, continually be putting off the old man and putting on the new, and uh, that's what they do. Now, culture is, is very difficult uh, to deal with. Um, of course, you realize every time you see an American walking around the, uh, England uh, just how, how bad some cultures can get. Uh, when we were there... Uh, one of the things that I uh, ran into several times and never have understood it, uh, and that is that we would be driving along and some tree would have fallen into the road. Well, now the uh, village, the owner of that tree, because everybody owns trees there. They know who owns it. I don't know how they keep track of that. They don't even know what land is theirs, but the trees they've got. And everybody knows whose tree belongs to whom. And if somebody's tree falls in the road... He'll get his whole village, and they'll come down to the road, and they'll start blocking traffic. And uh, I got up there and said, yes, what is it? What do you want? Why are you blocking the, tr the road? And they said, uh, well, you need to pay us because our tree fell in the road. And he says, yeah, we need 30 kina. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know how it would be here. I, that seems strange to me. And I says, why do I have to pay you 30 kina because your tree fell in the road? It seems to me you ought to pay to have it removed, you know. I mean, that's how they would do it in the United States. You'd be in big trouble if your tree fell in the road. But in there, they thought, well, you know, see, you use this road. And I've lost my tree now. And it's fallen in this road. So now because you use the road, you need to pay me. Well, I didn't like it, you know, and I'm still in the flesh. Um... I'm a Christian. I, I know that I am, but that day I didn't feel like it at all. And I started um, trying to figure out what in the world was this, you know. To me, it looks like extortion. But they, uh, they're convinced that I have to pay them. So I, you know, I talked back and forth with them. And, and uh, finally, after a while, I think I got the price down to about 10 kina. And I finally very reluctantly gave them 10 kina. And then they all pick up this tree and they move it out of the way and let me pass, and then they put it back in the road and stopped the next man. And I drove away from that, and I'm furious, just all day long thinking, ah, how ridiculous that is. Well, I never could figure out why. Uh, they never did explain to me 
why that would be. I would even ask Christians in the church where we were, you know, about that. What do you think about that? They say, well, you know, if his tree falls in the road, you really should pay, you know, and I, I never did understand it. But after a while, you don't worry about it. I got to the point where I actually looked forward to these little blockades because I would get out of the car and I would start preaching. And I had an audience there and I'd start giving the gospel to them. And I'd end up, you know, after preaching for a while and talking about hell and places like that, you know, pretty soon they'd get the price down to two kina and one gospel tract. And uh, I would be happy, you know, I was happy with that. I'd give them a gospel tract and two kina and I've already preached the word to them. And then I drive away and I'm happy because I got a chance to give the gospel. And I can't understand the culture, and it doesn't matter. And I learned that God's word is the power unto salvation, it says. Rather you're in the United States, or England, or Papua New Guinea, or wherever you go, it's the power of God unto salvation. That is the gospel. And so that's what we're looking for. As we were there, the longer we were there, the more convinced we became. Just preach God's word. Just every chance you get, preach God's word. Just keep giving it. Keep talking to these people about God and his word and Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And let the power of God's word do something in their heart. And don't worry about this crazy culture. Just keep on giving God's word. Okay, any other questions anyone have? I think I've been asking all the questions, uh, but uh, anything you have, anything you'd like to know? Well, you would think that they're very receptive. You know, they street preach. I go to town and uh, they're preaching in the market. There's always somebody preaching, wild, you know, very animated sermons. And uh, you go over to West Garoka, and there's somebody always preaching over there and across the street from the post office. And, and as soon as one preacher finishes up, somebody else gets in there and starts preaching, and it's all day long. And people, crowds and crowds of people, they're constantly stopping and listening to this, and they revere God's word, or preaching, not God's word, but preaching. They revere it, and they would ve always be very respectful. I could stop anyone on the road and start talking to them about the Lord, and they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't uh, shun me at all. They would listen. They would uh, respectfully listen. They wouldn't believe a word I was saying, but they would listen. So it looks like they're very receptive. The sad thing is, is that you, you find that even in churches, people are coming and they're not understanding the gospel. They just want to be part of what you are about. You know, one of the problems we had... We got off the plane in Papua New Guinea, and instantly we were rich and famous. We were like the royal family, you know, and everyone's looking at us, watching us. Uh, you know, we almost felt like we were monkeys in the zoo. You know, everything we did, they were just watching. And so you have to overcome all that and find out that many people, boy, they'll fill your church pews, and, but they don't understand. They've never been converted in the heart. Most people carry their Bibles around in Papua New Guinea like it's some sort of a rabbit's foot. I don't know if you know what that means. You know, it's just to bring good luck. And, uh, of course, you know, they do that a lot in the United States, too, and they do it here in England, I'm sure, too. 
And they don't understand that the Bible is speaking about a relationship with God. It's not religion. It's a relationship. And uh, it's very, very difficult there. But uh, at least we don't have to worry about people slamming the door in our face if we try to, you know. I suppose if you, if you started preaching in, what is it, city center, what would happen if I started standing up and preaching this wild sermon? Do you think they'd carry me off? Uh, you can't do that here. can't do that in the United States either. Uh, but there, it looks, it looks like they're receptive. Hmm? Well, they don't understand each other's. You know, even one village five miles from another, couldn't, they couldn't understand each other. So they're very, very difficult languages. So the Melanesian pidgin English seems to work just fine. And uh, so I'm glad we've learned it. Took me a while to learn it. You know, my children, they learned it right away, and they were laughing at me all the time because I didn't know how to speak that silly language. And there came a time where I couldn't speak English anymore. I, I couldn't speak either one of these languages. I was in this never-never land in the middle of two languages, and it was awful. But the Lord finally pulled me through that after a couple of years. So, Okay, well, let's get to the Bible. This is Christmas time. Boxing Day, they call it. That's a strange uh, uh, day for me. I've never heard about that until I went to Australia, and they shut down the whole city for a week and a half to celebrate Christmas and Boxing Day, and on and on and on it goes. Um, Christmas is probably one of the most celebrated holidays in the entire world. Even in Papua New Guinea, they'll put up a nice Christmas tree and everything else and celebrate Christmas. And every year, we see less and less and less of Jesus Christ in his own birthday celebration. And Christmas has become anything but the celebration of Jesus Christ coming to earth. I remember when I was a child, in my home, we, uh, my father left our house when I was three years old, and so all of the spiritual leadership in my house came from my uh, grandmother and my mother and my oldest sister. My oldest sister was something else. We used to call her the good one, you know, and she would always chide me around Christmas time and say, you know, don't forget, this is the celebration of Jesus Christ, and all I wanted to do was open presents and have fun with my family, because all the family kind of gathers around at Christmas time, and this is the time to do everything except celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And so I would inevitably end up feeling guilty, because my oldest sister would say, well, you know, don't forget, this is... This is about Jesus Christ coming, and I didn't care a hoot. But when I got saved at the age of 18, then it became a bit easier. And we don't want to feel guilty in our lives as we ignore God in our lives. And especially at Christmas time, I don't know, maybe you, as a believer, you start feeling a little bit guilty. Because Christ isn't in the right place in your life. I, I don't know. I don't know what you see in Christmas. You know, Christmas for many people. For businesses, it's great. They start celebrating Christmas. They call it Black Friday in, in America. Is that when, what you call it? The day after Thanksgiving. Oh, no, you don't have Thanksgiving here. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm an ignorant uh, American, you know. 
But in, in, in America, you can't, start, you can't really start celebrating Christmas until after you get Thanksgiving out of the way. Uh, so that comes on the fourth Thursday of every November. And so right after that, on the, tw- on, on the Friday, right after Thanksgiving, they call it Black Friday. And I think, wow. And that means because all of their tills are in the black, everybody's making good money now. And the businesses start celebrating Christmas right after that Thursday in November. And it goes on and on and on until well after the first. And for many people, it's a time for families to come. That's what they see in Christmas. This is time for families all to get together and for us to exchange gifts. And, uh, you know, you can treat your family members pretty badly all year long, but on Christmas, you know, we've got to shape up and start treating people well and... And it's a time now, I, what, I hear everyone saying Happy Christmas here. I guess Merry Christmas is out. Well, I kind of, I'm glad about that because I'm not a Catholic. And so Merry Christmas is no big deal to me. But, um, but Christmas, what do you see in Christmas? Well, in the Bible, we have a story of one man who saw something wonderful in the first Christmas. And I'd like to read about him. Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 25, listen to this story, if you can understand me. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he, that's Simeon, him, Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for God's word. We thank you for sending Jesus Christ in this world so that we might trust him as our Lord and Savior. And we might see thy salvation And I pray, Lord, that during this time, especially as we are truly celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, that you would help us to see thy salvation. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It can be very difficult at this time of the year to maintain a right spirit, to see the real meaning of Christmas. But on that first Christmas... Here was this man. We don't know a lot about Simeon. There's nothing much said about him at all in the Bible. But I'm telling you right now, if it could be said of me what it is said of Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, I'd be thrilled. It says, Simeon was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Ghost was upon him. What a great thing to be said 
about this man. Well, who was Simeon? Who was he? Well, we're pretty sure he had to be a Jew. There he was in the temple, so he would be coming into the temple. Only Jews would do that. His name is Simeon. He's named after one of the, one of the sons of Jacob, uh, one of the 12 tribes. His name is Simeon. And that's all the Bible tells us about this guy. And to be quite honest, before I really studied this passage, I kind of thought Simeon was some kind of a priest or a worker in the temple, but now I don't think so at all. I think he was just some Jew that had been studying God's word, what he had of it then, and he was looking for God to keep his promise. And being a Jew, he knew that the Bible had been teaching all along for many years, the prophecies had said that someone was going to come and save the world. And of course, if he was an astute Jew, and he would have been, he would have found out that this person was going to come as a baby, that a virgin would conceive him. Uh, he would find out that this baby was going to be born in Bethlehem. And Simeon was looking for it. The Bible says he was looking for the consolation of Israel. That means the comforting of Israel. And he was looking all the time for that. And the Bible says he was just. That means he was righteous. He had that same righteousness that Abraham had. You remember the Old Testament says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness or it was imputed. It wasn't his own righteousness. No, it was the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's what he needs. That's what you and I need to get to heaven. We, don't, we can't become righteous. It's too late. We've, we're ruined. When we're born, we're already ruined. We don't have a righteousness that can even approach God. But here this man had the righteousness of God imputed to him. And so the Bible says he was just. He was justified. God had taken that simple faith of his. He trusted God. That's all God wants from any of us. He wants to be believed. The Bible says in the beginning God. And he wants you to believe it. And for those who do, he will give you his righteousness. He will impute it to you. The price has been paid. There's nothing left for you to do. Just simply believe. And he gives it to you. It's a free gift. But it also says that Simeon was devout. It means he was devoted. He was a real worshiper. He wasn't like your average Christian that just kind of gets saved, says, thank you, Lord, for the fire insurance. I'll see you later. And salvation to many believers, all it is is something in the past. God has taken care of my sins. Now I don't have to worry about heaven or he I don't have to worry about going to hell. Now I can live life as I wish. And at the end of it all, then I'll, I'll see my salvation and everything will be great. That wasn't Simeon. It says Simeon was devout. He was devoted. He was a worshiper of God. Salvation was something that meant something to him every day of his life. 
He was asking God on a daily basis to change me, make me something different, take away my sinfulness. You see, when you're saved, you're justified, which means your sins are all paid for. All of your past sins, your present sins, all of your future sins, everything is paid for. But you, as, you know as well as I do that you're still sinning. And now begins this process of sanctification. You're supposed to be being sanctified, which means every day the Lord wants you to put off this old man and put on the new, very much like you change your clothing. Get rid of that sinfulness and start putting on the new. And it means practicing the gospel every single day. This is what Simeon did. He was devout. He was a worshiper. He was doing something every day about his relationship with God. It wasn't just, oh yes, I remember. I prayed this prayer someday in the past. And God took my sins away. Thank you very much. I'll see you later. But it was, no, I want to be with you. I want you to change me. I want you to do something with me. I want to be grateful for what you have done for me. And I want to live for you. That's devoted. That's devout. This was a worshiper. Whenever I think of a worshiper, I think of someone like my late mother-in-law, my wife's mother. We heard that she had died the June before we came home, and I remember being so disappointed because she was one of those few saints that I really wanted to see when we came back to America. We'd been gone for four years. We were looking forward to going back home and seeing things familiar, and I remember thinking my wife's mother was one person I really wanted to see because she was a real worshiper. Now, we had a bit of a rough start at the beginning. You know, my wife's mother accused me of buying an engagement ring from some unreputable place. And it was a little rough at the beginning. But, you know, things got smoothed over. And she, she forgave me for that. And, uh, and after a while, she, be, she and I became really good friends. And one of the things I loved about Rachel's mother was I'd go over to her house. And after, after, we after I told her a few mother-in-law jokes and you know, did this for a while, she'd start talking to me about how the Lord was working and what the Lord had done. And I remember always being so impressed with how she included the Lord in everything in her life. You know, some people, some Christians say, well, you know, if I have a real big decision, well, then I'll pray about it. You know, but those little things, I just take care of that. Well, when did you ever have a big problem? For the Lord to straighten out. Let me ask you that. No, to, to my mother-in-law, she took everything to the Lord. She was always praying. And she was always so thrilled when the Lord would do some little thing for her. She had these glasses that she would buy from the drugstore or the pharmacy, you call it here. And they were just, you know, magnifying glasses is all. She didn't have any proper glasses. She was always buying those things. They're real inexpensive. You just get them at the, at the pharmacy, and they kind of make the, you know, everything, a magnifying glass is all it is. Well, she had one she'd get because she was a violinist, 
Well, she needed a pair of glasses for the violin. And uh, then she'd need another pair of glasses for reading. And then she'd need, need another pair of glasses to see anything that was up ahead. So she had three pair. And she got these little ropes that she'd put them on. And sometimes she'd forget they weren't on the rope. And she'd go to switch glasses. And she'd throw this one off to put this one on. And it would go across the room. And she was always losing those things. And she'd tell me, oh, you know, I was so upset. I had to, I had to hurry up and get somewhere to play violin. I couldn't find my violin glasses. And so I prayed, you know, I prayed and I said, Lord, please help me find them. I, you know where they are. Just help me find them. And she, she says, and you know, I'd lift up some piece of paper and there they were. And she'd be so thrilled. And it was always talking about the Lord. She was a real worshiper. Now, of course, she didn't take all of those glass pro glasses problems to the Lord because when she died, her children had to come and get all of her things moved out of that house and they found a couple dozen of those glasses. So she obviously didn't pray about all of them. But it was those little things that she prayed about. And it was her joy in the Lord, living all the time, knowing that he was with her, that he was watching her. Her husband had gone to be with the Lord decades before. And here she was all by herself after having 11 children. But she never met this woman, but she was smiling. She was happy. She was always living with the Lord, a real worshiper. And that was Simeon. And that's what the Lord wants us to be. But not only that, it says here that Simeon was led by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was upon him. He was living by the Spirit. Galatians says, if you aren't walking in the Spirit, you're walking by the flesh. Why is it you find it so easy to get angry and perturbed about things? Because you're walking in the flesh. Why is it you can't make those right decisions in life? Why is it that when you're under pressure, that, that evil, sinful nature comes out, and people closest to you are the ones who see it? It's because you're not being led by the Spirit. But here was Simeon, justified devout, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. Well, why had he come to the temple? He'd come to the temple because he was looking for something, constantly looking, waiting for this promise that God had given him. It says he came by the Spirit into the temple. It had been revealed to him, verse 26 says, by the Holy Ghost, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon lived in a time when our written word was still in the making, when God would speak to people directly. And God had made this little promise to this Simeon. You're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And so he was waiting for that. He was looking for it. This was a promise that God had made to him. And he wanted to see it. And it was in that frame of mind that he was led to the temple. What a testimony. He was looking for something very different than what was offered. 
I love how this story starts in verse 25. It says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. His name is Simeon. Who is he? He's a nobody. He's no one at all. The, the, the Holy Spirit didn't say here, oh, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. His name is Caesar Augustus. Everyone knew Caesar. He didn't say, uh, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. He is the high priest over at the temple. No big deal to God. But here the Holy Spirit of God says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem, and his name was Simeon. And that's all we know about him, because he's no one in this world. But to God, he was so important that the Holy Spirit in the word of God says, behold, look here. Look at this person. He was looking for God, and God was going to favor him because he cared about the Lord enough to be devout, to live with God every day, to worship with him, not just at the temple, but in his heart. You see, he was being led by the Spirit even before he came to the temple. He was with God all the time. He wanted something different than what was being offered. He lived at a time when the government was probably the greatest. I don't know what you think about your government. I would imagine you complain about your government probably as about as much as I complain about mine. And I've only been alive for 50 years, and I can't believe what I've seen in my lifetime. Our governments aren't bringing us to the Lord, they're taking us away. The, the longer you go, haven't you noticed how much further away from God things have become? Well, they had the Roman government. For the first time in history, there was a government that was strong enough to protect people. The Romans are famous in history for building a road system that they say is still being used today. That didn't matter to Simeon. He wanted the Lord. He was looking for God. He lived in a time when culture was at its zenith. You think you have wonderful culture here. And, and, and I think you do too. But wow, he lived during a time when the Greek culture and their philosophy was at its zenith. But that didn't matter to him. He wanted something far greater. He lived during a time when the Jewish religion was at its height. If you like religion, boy, that would have been a great time to live. You could have been very religious. They had the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They had the Talmud. They had all kinds of stuff. You could be very religious in that time, but Simeon was looking for something completely different. He came to the temple looking for this little promise that God had made him. He'd been reading his Bible and he was living during a time when people were not really believing God's word. You know, if you go out and read God's word to the average person out, out in your city, they'll laugh you to scorn. They think it's ridiculous. You know what they think when you start telling them about Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, but because he's God, three days later he was he arose from the grave, and he did all of this to pay for the sin of mankind. And do you know what people think when you tell them that? 
They think you're a blooming idiot. And Simeon didn't care because he loved God and he believed God and he was looking for that promise. And it was just obscure back in that day as it is now. It's only the true believers who understand that God is real, God is alive, and God's promises are something to look for. And Simeon came this day, as he'd been doing for many days, looking for God to fulfill that promise he had made to him. And on this special day, he came, being led by the Spirit as usual, and he sees this baby in this woman's arms. And he knows God has fulfilled his promise. And he grabs that baby and he holds on to it. Think about that. There was Simeon holding God in his arms. And he's absolutely thrilled. And he says, Today, mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And look at the words. Verse 29, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. That word, Lord, in the Greek, that word comes from the, the English word we would use now, despot. I don't know how you pronounce it in England. I'm sorry. Despot. We don't like that word. I don't know about you in England, but in the United States, that's not a good word. A despot is somebody you're afraid of. It's somebody who has absolute authority. But he calls his Lord despot. It means somebody whose word is final. You can't, it has no court of appeal. You can't change it. That's the kind of word he used for his God. He said, Lord, now let your servant die. Because now I have seen what you promised I would see. Now let us thy servant depart in peace. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And what did he see? Well, he saw Jesus Christ. He saw him as a babe. And he knew, because he's being led by the Spirit, that this is the very one. And now he's thrilled. God has kept his promise to him. He's a devout Jew. A worshiping, saved man. And now God has shown him what he came to see. This is what Simeon saw in Christmas. The very first one. What really mattered to him was not all the fall to raw around him, but it was God. He was looking for God. He was looking for the salvation that God has promised. And he was not satisfied until he saw it. And now he was ready to go. He saw the Savior, and he does quite a bit of prophecy here. God uses him to, to do all kinds of prophecy here. He saw the consolation of Israel, he called it. A light to the Gentiles. This was something the Jews didn't even know. But Simeon did. Called him a divider of people. Whoever believes 
is going to be divided from those who don't believe. He was going to see someone who could reveal hearts. You never know if someone truly believes the Lord until you watch their life, until you see what it does to them. You see, I remember at five years old, I prayed this prayer. I remember it very well. And for years, years of my life, I believe that had done it for me. Because I was told, if you pray and you ask the Lord to save you, he will. The problem is, is that the Lord knew that in my heart there was nothing there. It wasn't real. You see, you can't get anything past the Lord. He sees it all. He knows it all. He knows if you're sincere. He knows if you really want him or not. He knows if you're sitting here because you appreciate religion or if you're like Simeon and you see all past all of that and all you want is God. And as soon as you want God, he's yours. It's as simple as that. He knows your heart. He knows what's happening on the inside. It doesn't matter what you put on the outside. It doesn't matter. Because he can see it. He is the revealer of hearts. And this is what Simeon was looking for. And if this is what you're looking for, then you won't feel guilty after Christmas is over. Because you will have put the Lord first. Because this is something you're doing all the time. The Lord is first. Make putting the Lord first a habit of your life. And then you won't have to feel like you've cheated him somehow at Christmas time because you got all caught up in the festivities. God wants you. He doesn't want your religion. He doesn't want all of the, uh, the, the dressing up that we do in order to impress people. God wants you. He wants your heart. And if he's got your heart, he'll get the rest too. It'll come. This was Simeon. He was looking for God. How is it that we put the Lord first? Well, we do it by being in his word. Reading the Bible as if you believe it's real. Reading the Bible as though it is the message from the very God, the God of gods, King of kings, Lord of lords, Him, the despot, the one who rules. This is His word. And He has lots of things He wants you to know. He wants your life to change. He wants you to be putting off that old man and putting on the new. He wants to use your life as light and salt in this world. This means sharing every thought and plan with God. It means every morning you get up and you remind yourself, I'm yours, God. You tell him that all the time. I belong to you. It doesn't matter about me. What matters is you. My life belongs to you. It always did, but now I actually want to give it to you, just as it is. And I want you to take it, and I want you to use me. 
means you pray with him. You talk to him as though he really exists. And you're always telling him what you're up to and what you're thinking. And you're asking him to show you what he wants from you. You're asking him to help you to walk in the spirit, walk by the wisdom of God's word. And it becomes an obsession with you. This is what it means to be like Simeon. This is what it means to be looking for God all the time. And that way at Christmas time, it's not a problem. You see him because you always do. Then you won't be feeling guilty for not giving Christ his rightful place at Christmas time. Because you'll be giving him his rightful place every single day in your heart like he wants you to. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you saved us even though we don't deserve it. We thank you, Lord, that you did send Jesus Christ. It's been many years now, but what he's done is so effective that we are still in awe of what he has done for us. I pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, to put the Lord first in everything we do so that we may please you with our life, not just at Christmas time, but all the time. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.